This is Fake Plastic Podcast, a podcast that unlocks the alchemy of Radiohead, one song, music video, or live performance at a time. My name is Savannah Wright. Remember this part of our last episode with Christopher O'Reilly? Okay, so do you think you would want to do any King of Limbs tracks, or do you think they just, no, they're not No, I'm not suitable? a big fan of that record. Your reaction to this moment says a lot about you as a Radiohead fan. Fans in one camp may have thought, yeah, the King of Limbs wasn't their best. I can understand why he wouldn't cover those songs. But fans in another camp may have responded, what? The King of Limbs is great. People need to stop hating on that record. And then there are the newcomers listening to this podcast who probably thought, what's the King of Limbs? Sounds like a horror movie. Side note, that's exactly what my husband said when I mentioned this record to him. And then there are the peacemakers, who bring up one piece of evidence most fans can agree on. The King of Limbs, live from the basement. I, th- I think, I mean, probably, I could probably talk forever about every single track on this, on this session. I think it's just, it's so, it's so well developed. Um, I think all the, the different percussive sounds that Clive and Phil end up using just create something entirely different in the, in the sections. I think the way that Colin, I mean, Colin's an incredible bassist, but some of the low end on these tracks is, is almost disorienting. Meet Oliver Kemp, one such peacemaker. So on, um, I'd, I'd forgotten, so I, I listened to this all again recently because I hadn't listened to it a little while, but I'd forgotten how low the low end is on Separator. It, it actually, it was making my speakers vibrate when I listened to it. <laughs> and I think it's just a lovely version again because you have that dry, clean sound in the drum beat that made in Rainbow such a warm album. Uh, but then you have this mm-hmm. real intense low end and there's, it waits such a long time, it pulls back before the guitar comes in and sort of relieves it and gives it a bit more melody. Oliver ran a channel on YouTube called Deep Cuts that offers thorough guides to various artists and genres. If you couldn't tell, he's extremely articulate about music. And he's an ardent Radiohead fan. So I think the first time I ever heard Radiohead uh, was my mother was, had a copy of The Bends. Um, obviously, that record came out quite a long time ago, so I was about I was two years old when The Bends came out. And uh, immediately attracted to that kind of aggressive rock sound that was that was so much their sound when they were in their early days uh, and then I kind of f- stopped listening to them for quite a long time uh, and then it was around about the time that In Rainbows came out that all of a sudden everything I, I really started getting much more interested in it so I was playing music myself I was playing the drums quite a lot um, and I remember first hearing 15 Step and being completely blown away and um, how, how that how that whole record sounded, that first track sounded, it was so warm, it was so inviting. Uh, and from there on, my, my Radiohead obsession really kicked into gear, and I just haven't been able to stop listening to them and obsessing about them ever since, really. In this episode, we'll discuss the live video album, The King of Limbs, live from the basement, and how its performances may help dubious fans better appreciate an underrated album. To understand why fans found The King of Limbs underwhelming, we must first examine the popular response to Radiohead's previous record, In Rainbows. It's interesting I just spoke about In Rainbows because I think that's maybe where the point of contention came with The King of Limbs when it finally arrived. I mean, In Rainbows was such a big success critically, commercially. uh, Well, commercially, I suppose the pay-what-you-want model didn't quite work for them. But, I mean, you know, the fans absolutely loved it. Everybody considered it a late masterwork in their career in so many ways. So then The King Mm -hmm. of Limbs comes along. It it gets dropped. I mean, we get sort of four days' notice for it to be dropped. I think it was on Valentine's Day they announced it. Uh, And then Mm -hmm. we got the day before it was supposed to release. Everyone that pre-ordered it got a copy of it early. 
and it was just this really quite strange record, all based on sampling and looping, uh, much less warm, much colder than the previous record, uh, mm-hmm. almost entirely different to anything they'd ever done before. I mean, it, it felt sort of mechanical. There's only eight tracks, and, and I think that meant that a lot of fans who had been waiting four years for a follow-up to um, in Rainbows felt a little bit short-changed, I suppose. And I, I remember we were all obsessing over the fact that, oh, there must be a, a King of Limbs Part 2 coming, because... Um, yeah. For so many silly little reasons, I remember that it was the, the final, um, the final lyrics on Separator. If you think this is over, then you're wrong. And everyone was going, "Yeah, that that means that there's a King of Limbs Part Two. Uh, no one, <laughs> no one could hack the fact that this was the record, and this is what we'd yeah. be getting." Um, and I think. Did you have a similar? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, no, I, uh, yeah. So I, I did have a, a similar response to that initially, but I, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm probably one of those people who would die on a hill for King of Limbs because. After loving In Rainbow so much and getting back into the band around that time, even though The King of Limbs wasn't quite what I expected, I came to really love the record, even for what other people might perceive as its faults. So I think it became a very autumnal record for me that I listened to all the time. Uh, but I do understand people's issues with it, uh, and I think people still do have a lot of those issues with the record. Mm-hmm. What are some of those issues? Is it the sampling and looping as opposed to the acoustic instrumentation, or what do you think those are? I think it's a mixture of things. I think, uh, yeah, I think the looping is one of the, is one of the parts. I think a lot of the tracks sound like they bleed into each other. They don't have too much dynamism. And I, I don't think that necessarily has to be a, a negative. It's just a different production technique that Nigel Godrich and co decided to take on that album. It's mm-hmm. just a very different feeling, especially because of the warmth of In Rainbows. And there is so much dynamic instrumentation on that record. And they went for a very, very warm, natural sound on that. This was the complete opposite way and that there's certain tracks I mean uh, that some people the people that really don't like the album might call fillers tracks like feral for example that you wouldn't usually get on a on a radiohead record all of a sudden we've we've got this sort of instrumental track with um backing uh, with uh, reversed vocals and guitar chords and things and it, it was it was like a strange experimentation really and I think people just wanted another in rainbows record (laughs) yeah so yeah, as I was researching this, I was wondering, do you think this follows a similar pattern to how people reacted to Kid A and Amnesiac after OK Computer because they were doing something totally different than what people wanted them to do again? Yeah, probably. I mean, I've lauded over many a review of, of Radiohead around that sort of time and people were expecting, like you say, they were expecting OK Computer Part 2 and Radiohead mm-hmm. being the band that they are, the shape-shifting band, decided to, to release this very frosty electronic record, which has become... Probably widely considered one of their best records. I mean, I probably put it up there with In Rainbows and Amnesiac as well with their with with their best. Um, I think mm-hmm. they they like constantly defying expectations. And the number of times that that Tom's come out in interviews and he's clearly bored with a certain type of uh, of creative process. So he was sick of guitar music by the time OK Computer had finished. So that's why they jumped to the electronic sound. And I think maybe the same thing happened after In Rainbows. It was time for them to do something different and try something new to try and get out of that stale. Uh, environment of the recording studio and that's why we got this very different sort of record. While the songs of In Rainbows stemmed from the band's live performances, the sound of the King of Limbs arose from experimentation in the studio. Inspired by his recent DJing stints with producer Nigel Godrich in LA, Tom York wanted to push the boundaries of conventional recording methods for the next record. So Godrich proposed a two-week experiment the band would exchange their acoustic instruments for turntables and vinyl emulation software, and then share whatever they came up with. According to Godrich, two weeks became six months, 
and the King of Limbs was born. Although York described the album as an expression of wildness and mutation, several fans were dismayed by the electronic rigidity of this record, especially after the expressive, lyrical, and rainbows. But Oliver says York's interest in electronic experimentation shouldn't have been a surprise. You know, electronic-wise, we had all of, all of his solo work with the Eraser and all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. after the King of Limbs came out, we had Tomorrow's Modern Boxes, which again was yeah, quite a strange, abstract, difficult record that people struggled to warm up to, I suppose. Maybe the King of Limbs just lacked the beating heart of In Rainbows. Like Oliver said, the tracks on King of Limbs are unassuming and tend to bleed into each other. They lack the anthemic quality of Nude, or the heart-rending poignancy of videotape. Maybe if Radiohead could show us the emotion behind these tracks, we could better appreciate them. The King of Limbs, live from the basement, does just that. The broadcast was released about 10 months after The King of Limbs and includes performances of all eight tracks from the record, as well as a few singles. Modeled after their previous live video album for In Rainbows, the sessions were produced by Godrich and televised internationally. Clive Deemer of Portishead joined Phil Selway to execute the album's complicated polyrhythms, while the horn section was added to fill out the sound of songs like Bloom and Codex. Together, they breathed new life into these off-maligned songs. I was completely blown away. So, so I know that uh, The King of Limbs came out, I think it, it was in February, and then we got this release in December. So it was a, a few months after. It gave The King of Limbs some time to percolate, and I think some people have decided that they didn't like it at all. Others had warmed to it, and others were still hoping for King of Limbs Part 2. So <laughs> those people might still be <laughs> hoping for King of Limbs Part 2. Um, yeah. I remember sitting down and watching it because I bought the DVD, um, the lovely slipcase cover, and uh, it just, it, all of the tracks, and, and bearing in mind this was the point where I, I was enjoying The King of Limbs, I'd listened to it a lot, it just put everything mm-hmm. into this full, vibrant technicolour all of a sudden. You have, you have the really sort of sultry, dark lighting of the studio where they filmed it. Uh, you have these really, these full-bodied compositions where every single track that was um, a little bit more mechanical and a bit more restrained on The King of Limbs completely came to life in that for the basement sessions. It's just like they, they found a way of contextualising it in a live setting and just bringing it to life in a way that, um, that I think a lot of people wish they had on, on the studio versions of the tracks. Hmm. Yeah, do you feel like this performance then redeemed the album for fans who didn't appreciate it when it was first released? Yeah, maybe it did. I mean, I, I guess I don't like the word redeemed because... Because I like uh, the King of Limbs as an album, anyway. Um, but yeah, I, th- I, agree. I think, yeah. But I think a lot of people do feel that way, especially with a, a track like Bloom, because Bloom has so much potential. And anyone that went on the uh, on the tour for King of Limbs will have got an opportunity to see these these tracks performed as they were in the from the basement sessions. And it is just an entirely different experience. So I mean, mm-hmm. I was standing with people. I, I was lucky enough to see them at the O2 Arena in London on the King of Limbs tour in 2012. So by that time, yeah. the, from the basement sessions had been out already. And I was next to a couple of people in the audience who said, oh, I, mean, I don't really like the King of Limbs stuff. I'm not really here for that. And they were just mm-hmm. as in raptures by performances like Bloom as everybody else was yeah. in the audience because it was just this awe-inspiring performance. And, you know, since then, Tom's done, when he did the Pathway to Paris performance, he did that piano-led version of Bloom, mm-hmm. which was just beautiful. And I think, 
it's kind of fascinating the way you get a chance to see this set of songs evolving over time because most most bands um, they will listen to the they'll create the tracks they'll go in the studio for months at a time they'll come out very polished and they'll perform those tracks as are in their live setting and that's kind of the only way you ever get to hear those tracks and I think with yeah. Radiohead they've always been a different band because if you've followed them if you've followed their career you know of certain songs that have, that have cropped up here and there and they're sort of they have this shrouded mystery around them that they've got sort of maybe names but we're not too sure and then out of nowhere they appear in studio form sometimes completely different to what you'd imagine like nude for example that's been around since 96 and when it appeared on in rainbows everyone was sort of shocked at the uh, at what it was like finally and, and videotape yeah. is another one as well and then we've got identikit mm -hmm. and tracks like that on a moonshape pool so um i think I, I think in some ways it probably does redeem it. i remember having lots of conversations on on subreddits and things like that about how from the basement had changed fans opinions of it because it does just warm up the tone of the record, it, it, like retroactively. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a strange thing. Um, but I guess I also I treat them as different, almost different. They are like different entities. Now, I find that I actually mm -hmm. listen to the From the Basement sessions more than I listen to The King of Limbs. I just think it's oh. a, yeah, I just think it's a, it's just a better complete package. But I do still sometimes listen to uh, the King of Limbs, but I definitely, yeah, I definitely think there is maybe a kind of reappraisal that goes on between those two separate performances. Do you listen to it more because you like the arrangements of it better with the acoustic instrumentation, or why is it? Yeah, I think. I mean, there's there's so many uh, th there's so many parts of all the tracks on the King of uh, on the King of Limbs from the basement session that I think makes it such a beautiful, warm recording. I think just bringing on Clive Deemer from Portishead, the, the drummer, and doubling up the mm -hmm percussion alongside Phil Selway made a massive difference to the sound in that studio as they recorded yeah. it in Maida Vale and they had a very uh, quite a large group of people getting involved in this performance but I mean on, yeah. on, on Bloom for example you have those polyrhythms and you have Johnny playing that triplet rhythm and everything becomes a little bit slippy and messy and drags a little bit but whereas on the the, the studio version of Bloom it all feels quite mechanical and it stays in place like a bit like a ticking clock really there's just something about mm -hmm. that slip that you get on the live performance that makes it feel so much more human and you have that brass that's backed up as well. I mean, there's that, there's that moment just after the chorus where um, I think it's Clive that thwacks the snare and they go into that mm -hmm. moment where Tom just, just does that soaring vocal and the brass come in and it's such, it's such a sweet spot. They found a real sweet spot with that track that perhaps felt like it was just out of reach in the studio recording. I, I think that that's just a little example of the, the number of times they managed to improve on the songwriting and the styles of these tracks in this live setting. Yeah, no, I totally agree because I had I was at the King of Limbs tour as well, but because I was so far away, it was hard for me to really see what was going on. <laughs> so to see in the From the Basement uh, video, to see them performing, it was just so enrapturing. I especially loved watching the two drum lines going at the same time. It was just so <laughs> fascinating mm. to me. Yeah. And also the fact that they didn't use, like you were saying, they didn't just use loops. They could have just had the pre-recorded loops going and then they could have like played over that because that's what Tom has done in some of his solo tours. But I just, yeah, I agree with what you said. <laughs> yeah, it, um, I don't think it would have worked if they'd done that. I think it would have felt really, especially because the way that Radiohead do their set lists and have done since King of Limbs is that they like to throw lots of different eras of their sound in, into one set list. And I think if you were jumping from mm -hmm. the 
really uh, band-led tracks from like the OK Computer era or something like that, and you'd put that alongside something that had a recorded fixed beat, I think that would probably feel really um, sort of off kilter completely. So I think they probably they probably sat down and thought we have to change this for a live setting. Um, yeah, it, it just works so well. Yeah, I agree. That's a good point. Um, were there any other songs that seemed completely different to you once you saw them performed? You mentioned Bloom, but were there any others that stood out to you? Yeah, um, I think I think the, one of the other ones that really hits, and it's probably my least favorite of of the King of Limbs studio album, is uh, "Good Morning, Mr. Magpie." Yeah, uh, it just I think maybe it was only on the first few listens, but it felt so lifeless initially. Um, mm-hmm. there, there is like there's like a bit of tension there in the studio recording, but it never feels like it really gets going. It's it's a very steady, restrained piece of music. Um, Mm -hmm. and I mean obviously I think a lot of fans already had an idea of what the track might sound like because it existed as that Tom solo acoustic guitar piece that was I think it was called Morning Malord if I remember correctly I think that was the original name for it Um, and and that was it was that was on um, one of the sort of webcasts and that was a fun piece but a bit messy Um, and then the version that they finally came to on the, from the basement session, it just has, it, it's angry, it clatters in a sort of menacing way. It, it feels way more grandiose than the track that was recorded. You have that pick-scraped mm-hmm. guitars of Tom and Ed, there's that real energy between Clive and Phil. It just creates a yeah. far more fueled experience, and I think it just it just encapsulates this period of Radiohead so much better, this live track. And it, yeah, it's just another example of how they managed to take that idea and flesh it out and just create something entirely different with it yeah that was that was something that stood out to me so i'm glad you mentioned that one (laughs) yeah um i guess my last question for you is what does this from the basement session say about radiohead as performers is their work best appreciated live oh that that's uh that's a tough question i mean yeah, I've been I've been lucky enough to see Radiohead a couple of times, and they've probably been some of the best experiences that I've ever had live. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I can never discern whether that's because I have such an emotional connection with the band anyway. Um, mm. Obviously, they're incredible live performers. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but a lot of the a lot of the really explosive moments that you can have with them live are often when they stick to their studio recordings. Um, the most. I mean, when they when they play mm. Paranoid Android in, in its full, they don't exactly move too far away from that in the way that they instrument the way that they structure that. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of it might just come down to the emotional connection that you you have with the band from the off. But mm-hmm. I, I think I think that's why the King of Limbs is is very different because they they take these ideas and they do something entirely different with it. Uh, but I think it also maybe it makes a wider point about songwriting in general that there are arenas for studio performances and there are live arenas and those two things are sometimes completely different depending on what kind of music you listen to I mean there's there's True. certain music for me that I don't necessarily want to see in the live setting if I think about mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm a big electronic music fan for example um, and I, I love um, Orteca and I, for me I don't know if I, I want to experience Orteca in a live setting particularly so sometimes I think those things just don't connect and I think that Radiohead being such seasoned performers that they are probably understood that some of the 
compositions on this record just don't quite fit in a live setting. But the fact that they were able to just take those and make something entirely new out of them proves how intelligent they are as songwriters, but performers as well and collaborators. Because bringing bringing Clive in to that tour mm-hmm. was a genius move, and it's something that they've done since on on the on the Moonshape Pool gigs because it works so well for them having those double drums. I think it yeah. it shows that they have a real love for live performance as well. And uh, the number of times, I mean, the pe- people that aren't Radiohead fans, and that's not probably not going to be anybody who's listening to this podcast, right? <laughs> but <laughs> right. The, the people that aren't Radiohead fans, they fall into those old trappings and cliches of, of oh, Radiohead are boring, you know, they're depressing, they just stand, they, they stand still alive and don't do anything. I don't even know where those those preconceptions come from because none of it's actually true so a radio yeah. live performance is one of the most like emotional and um intense performances you'll probably ever see um, and i think yeah. that's again where they come to life you've got johnny on his knees playing with synths and tom dancing like a madman you've got everything that's going on they all <laughs> seem to really enjoy their live performances I, I think i feel like i mean i've trawled the internet for live recordings and videos of them over the years and it feels like they're in a period from about the King of Limbs onwards. They're in a period where they're really enjoying playing live again, like more than they ever were. Um, and maybe the experimentation that came around the, from the basement sessions helped to fuel that. Uh, even yeah. down to Tom's live performances when he does his solo work, I got to see him at the Roundhouse last year, and he was doing some t- uh, Tomorrow's Modern Boxes stuff. And it just seemed like he's just in love with that live performance and very, very sort of infectious with his personality. And, and I don't know. Mm-hmm how often that's come across in the past because he does have that demeanour of being quite po-faced and quite archly cryptic and and not very approachable and all those kind of cliches that he falls into. Um, And and I think maybe that from the basement session just shows that creative, playful side, not just of Tom, but of everybody else in the band too. Uh, And just, just reveals a band that are able to create even what seems like a misstep to some people, create something out of it that even more people are able to appreciate. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I feel like when you see them perform live, you can't help but love them because they're just so dedicated to the sounds they're producing. And it's just really exciting to see how enthusiastic they are. Yeah. And they, um, ju- they just have you with the lighting, everything they do. I remember, I think uh, they played Mixomatosis, maybe the third or fourth track in when I saw them. And, and the lights all sw- mm-hmm. uh, switched to green. And it was just a yeah. moment which felt like, I don't know, it felt like the atmosphere was so cloying around everyone. It's just, it's an unexplainable feeling seeing them live. And, and it sounds like I'm, you know, waxing lyrical about them, but that's because they are really that good. <laughs> no, I completely agree. Yeah, I, they're still my favorite concert that I've seen um, from the King of Limbs tour. I wasn't able to go to the Moonshape Pool tour, but yeah, the way that they combine their visuals as well is just astounding. It really resonates in your mind for years. Yeah, and I, I really like the visuals around the King of Limbs as well. The stuff that Stanley Donwood did uh, with the with the big trees um, and the strange sort of ghostly figures on the on the on the sleeve art of the album. I think. Um, yeah, that's probably it's probably one of my favourite visual representations of a Radiohead album as well. I think it's got a just a lovely feeling for it, and it really captures the what what you feel as you're listening to the record. I think Stanley's very yeah. good at, at doing that anyway. I think you look back at all of the different visual representations of what Radiohead have done, and it just feels like the artwork connects so well to what what's happening orally, which I think is is impressive because sometimes music. Is, is very difficult to explain visually, isn't it? But somehow they yeah. always manage to pair that up. Yeah. No, that, I want to do a whole separate episode with him, but that's, that's on my dream goal. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I'd, I'd love to hear that. 
Another bonus of seeing Radiohead perform these songs? Tom's signature dance moves. Watching Tom writhe and jump to songs like Feral and Lotus Flower is endlessly entertaining. But jokes aside, I think to thoroughly appreciate Radiohead's work, you need to see them perform. There's an unexplained magic to how they bring a song from the studio to life. I'm sure many people that have listened to this podcast will have already listened to From the Basement Sessions, but watching it as well, I think, is, is part of it, is to get to see these people in action and see them repurposing their own music. Um, it's just one of those one of those things that you have to do as a fan because I think it will change your or maybe challenge your preconceptions of The King of Limbs if it's a record that you haven't maybe considered as top tier as, as, as you were before. Yeah. Are you familiar with Christopher O'Reilly's piano interpretations of Radiohead? Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just interviewed him a couple weeks ago and he was saying, yeah, I haven't really done any... Um, any interpretations of the King of Limbs stuff. It just wasn't my favorite. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. This a lot of people just kind of write it off. So I'm really grateful I was able to talk to you and get a new perspective on it. Because yeah. I've always liked it, but I didn't know how to articulate why it was, you know, something to be contended with. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? I, and I think it's such a shame because like a track like Codex, for example, if that was on a different record, I feel like people would consider that one of their top tier piano-led Radiohead tracks. Um, and I consider it one of those things. Um, but yeah. but it, people just don't connect with it, and I, I think it's such a shame. I think perhaps it, if the band had decided to include the Daily Mail and Super Collider on the record, it might have helped a little bit. But I think at the same time, it probably yeah. wouldn't have fitted the style of the original recorded tracks. So I understand why they didn't. Um, yeah. But I think I, I feel like the fan opinion has slightly changed over the years. Ever since since the Moonshape Pools released, I think it's given people closure. The people that really vehemently hated. The King of Limbs. Now they've got something else, and they lo- there's something else that they like. And in their opinion, Radiohead's back on form. They're able to sort of, <laughs> you know, finish their closure with with King of Limbs and decide that actually it's an okay record. But I've got to say, as much as I as much as I like a Moonshaped Pool, I probably still have more of a connection at this point with with the King of Limbs. But then that's many years since 2011 of listening to it, and we've only had a Moonshaped Pool for a few years. So maybe yeah. my opinions on that will change eventually. <laughs> If you only look at the King of Limbs as the successor to In Rainbows, you will be eternally disappointed. It doesn't have the soaring vocals, the ethereal guitar lines, or the heartbreakingly beautiful strings. But Radiohead never promised that it would. They achieved that sound with their last record, and now it was time to try another. After all, Radiohead's penchant for mutation has, in many ways, contributed to their popular and critical success. But after reviewing some of the album's criticism, I wonder if The King of Limbs simply wasn't enough of a mutation for some listeners. In his review for Pitchfork, Mark Pilek said the album missed, quote, the band's signature game-changing ambition. In a retrospective on Stereogum, Ryan Lee said that The King of Limbs, quote, felt like something of a letdown because it wasn't, ultimately, some genius stroke none of us expected. So, do you think our expectations are too high? Like, is our reaction to this album colored by our expectations that Radiohead's supposed to do something genius every time they release something? Yeah, I mean, uh, they're the band with probably the highest fan expectations you can possibly imagine. I mean, I'm sure you've frequented the the, the subreddit 
uh, for Radiohead, which is just, mm-hmm. it's probably one of my favourite places to be as a fan because I remember we started getting snippets about a moon-shaped pool coming out and trying to put together all these all this information to try and work out, oh, what tracks are going to be on this album, which fan favourites are going to be there, which aren't. And it is a rabid fan base. It's, it's an obsession for a lot of people, and I totally understand why because it's one of my obsessions as well. So it's even if... Um, you, you don't want to get your expectations high. It, it's inevitable to do, it's inevitable to do so because I mean, have they released a bad record? I, I don't think they have ever released a bad record. So that, yeah. that expectation is going to go higher and higher. And um, yeah, I, I think that's just inevitable with a band that has hit the highs as many times as Radiohead have. Some fans took a while to warm up to Kid A because it was too different from OK Computer. Perhaps fans didn't embrace the King of Limbs because it simply isn't different enough. In any case, I think most of us can agree that the live from the basement sessions add vivacity and color to an otherwise restrained and enigmatic record. And that Radiohead, by inspiring fans to change their minds about these songs, are masterful performers. You've been listening to Fake Plastic Podcast. Fake Plastic Podcast is an alternate Thursdays production with new episodes every other Wednesday. You can find us on Instagram or Twitter at Fake Plastic Pod. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you really liked this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends, Radiohead fans or otherwise. I'm Savannah Wright. Thanks for listening.